good morning. My name is Pastor Jonathan Coleman, and I am so excited that you have gathered with us for worship this morning. Uh, whether this is your first time here or whether you have been here since the doors are open, I want you to know that you are welcome here, and we are grateful that you are here, and I am grateful that you are here this morning. Uh, now, if you have known me for any length of time, or if you are my friend on social media, uh, you know that I have a deep love for Texas barbecue. Side note, uh, I have my own Instagram called Jonathan Coleman's Barbecue because uh, I like to make barbecue and take pictures of it, and it was driving people crazy. I put so much on social media. I love to try barbecue from all over the great state of Texas. I even have a subscription to Texas Monthly Magazine uh, because I want to stay informed uh, on the top 50 barbecue restaurants throughout the state of Texas. Uh, further, I'm so crazy uh, that when we plan road trips across the state of Texas, we plan our route around the top 50 barbecue restaurants throughout the state of Texas so that we can get good Texas barbecue. However, I haven't always loved barbecue. I lived in Texas for nearly five years uh, before I even discovered that I liked barbecue. Uh, because I thought that good barbecue was Spring Creek or Dickies, and I just thought there was nothing special about it. And no offense if you like those places, but they're nothing special to me. <laughs> and then one day, uh, a friend invited me to go to Hutchins Barbecue in McKinney, Texas, to order some brisket. And I said, I don't really like brisket. And he said, that's because you haven't had theirs. So I went just to appease him, and I ordered the brisket plate. And I've got to tell you, that was the most delicious thing I had ever put in my mouth. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And before you knew it, uh, I was taking side trips through McKinney because I just had to have some of that brisket. However, then God called us to West Texas. And even more difficult than being away from family, uh, he called us six hours away from Hutchins Barbecue. <laughs> so I took the next logical step as a Texan. I bought a smoker and I set out how to learn to make brisket just like I had had at Hutchins. And I'm happy to report I've gotten pretty close. I'm not consistently there, but every once in a while, I'll make a brisket that tastes as good or better than my memories from McKinney. And that's the thing about barbecue. When you get something just right, it keeps you coming back for it because you crave that thing that you once have tasted and it blew your mind. Now, that's a silly and a sad and a true story. However, today, I want us to talk about what it is to crave for something and long for something so intensely that nothing else will satisfy. And this morning, we're continuing on walking through the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a book that was written to encourage believers of Jesus Christ to focus on their living hope that we just sung about, even amidst the persecution that they were facing. Last week, when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, we discovered how being holy as God is holy causes us to stretch ourselves to love others. And today, looking at chapter 2, yes, we finally made it to chapter 2, uh, looking at chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, we will discover how being holy as God is holy uh, causes us to kill our sin and to crave spiritual growth. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, take them out and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that is fine. Uh, we have one in the chair in front of you that you can borrow, and you can find our passage today on page 953. 
Uh, Mission Dorado is a church that practices verse by verse expository preaching, uh, which means that we simply just walk through the text. Uh, We look at what it says, discover what it means, and then ask the question how we apply what we've read to our lives at the end. Uh, So it's imperative that you have a copy of God's Word looking at it with us. That being said, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And it says this. Probably should turn there in my Bible. Here we go. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if... Indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter begins this new chapter with looking back at what he's just written in chapter 1. We can understand the word so to be a connector and even used in the same sense of the word as therefore, which we have discovered is always pointing back to what was said before. The so reaches back to what we just looked at last week, that when believers have been saved by God, they love one another. Therefore, understanding that we are a new creation, that we have God's character DNA because his imperishable seed abides in us, like we saw last week, we love others. And therefore, we put away certain things. Now, the word for put away here means that we rid ourselves of these things. The understanding here would be the mentality of taking off of dirty clothes. It's the same analogy that Paul had in mind when he spoke to the Colossians to take off the old and to put on the new. In ancient Christian baptism ceremonies, those being baptized customarily took off and threw away the clothes that they wore to the ceremony. And following their baptism, they put on new clothes that they received from the church. And this exchanging of clothes symbolized their laying aside of the old life and taking up the new. And when we are truly transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ, we put aside all sins that keep us from fully desiring or are a hindrance from us serving him. So what is Peter asking us to rid ourselves of? What is he asking us to take off and to put away? Well, the first category of the sin that Peter lists here, he says, is all malice. Well, what is that? Uh, We don't use that word in our everyday language. The word used here to describe all malice is a general wickedness or an evil mindset. And Peter tells believers here to put all of that aside. Second, Peter tells believers to put aside all deceit. If you've ever tried to buy a used car, you know that word well. They oftentimes are looking to deceive you when buying a new vehicle. Their goal is to sell you a new vehicle for more than it's worth that you should pay for it and then to give you less than what you should get for your trade-in. This is looking to trick someone into something. So Peter is telling believers here to put away all dishonesty or trickery. In other words, be a straight shooter. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Next, Peter tells believers to put aside hypocrisy. We know this word in our day. Maybe even a better way to say this in our day is would be a pretender. Someone who pretends to have moral standards or beliefs to which their own behavior doesn't reflect. Peter says, put this away. In other words, practice what you preach. If you're going to tell others to love well, you better be loving others well too. Put off intentional 
hypocrisy. And if you're doing it unintentionally, then stop it. And Peter then tells believers to put aside envy. This is an attitude of those who desire or are jealous of what others have. And this can often lead to grudges or bitterness or hatred or even conflict. And then lastly, Peter tells the believers of Jesus Christ to put aside all slander. This is speaking behind others' backs with gossiping and backbiting and saying things that are untrue or are unkind, essentially with the goal of tearing down others' character. Peter says, don't do this. But why? Why does Peter begin with a call to put away and to take off these evil attitudes and these actions? Well, most likely because such things are love killers. They go against what we've just been called to do in verses 22 through 25 of chapter 1. When we are walking in wickedness and not telling the truth and not practicing what we're preaching, being jealous and talking bad about others, it sure is hard to love other believers, isn't it? This is Peter's practical outworking of how we are to love others. We can love others well by not doing these things. In fact, we could put it this way. Avoid these things that are love killers. Now, I grew up in Mississippi, and one big difference from Mississippi and West Texas is there was an abundance of water everywhere. We grew up swimming and playing in creeks and ponds and sometimes even ditches if it rained enough. Yes, I was that big of a redneck. And as a young boy... It never failed that in the hot, humid summer days, my brother and I would find ourselves tempted to go swimming, and we wouldn't have the appropriate clothes on to do so. So oftentimes, we would just put our toes in the water, but then you, you know what happens. Uh, then you inch just a little bit further in, and then your pants leg gets wet, and then you end up pushing each other or tripping, and then before you know it, you're completely submerged in the water. You're not thinking about what you're wearing, and you're not thinking about the consequences that would be facing you home of an angry mother. Then we would emerge from that ditch or that creek or that pond, and our clothes would be sopping wet, and they would feel so heavy and so burdensome that we couldn't just wait to take them off and lay them aside. You know that feeling of having soaking wet clothes on, don't you? They weigh you down. It keeps you from being able to walk the way that you should walk. And Peter here is saying, you have been called to love. Why are you allowing yourselves to be weighed down by the old life? Walk in the newness of life and don't be weighed down to a point of where you can't love others. Put away love killers. And just as freeing as it felt for my brother and I to remove those wet clothes when I was a boy, believer, how much more so should we lay aside and put aside the sins that are weighing us down and keeping us from loving other believers? Rather, Peter says we should do this. Look at verse 2. It says this. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter continues this imagery of us being children of God. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Peter told us that we have been born again. And then in verse 23 that we looked at last week, Peter told us that we were born again with God's seed, God's DNA, literally abiding within us. So Peter then says, like the newborn infants that you are, long for, 
the pure spiritual milk. Uh, We can understand this longing to be a deep desire, even a craving. Uh, You know what it means to have a craving, right? Like when you have this deep burning desire to have something specific and nothing else will satisfy. Uh, Peter likens this to a newborn infant who is hungry to be fed. If you spend any time around newborn babies, you know that when they are hungry, they are hungry. There is no distracting them from the goal. There is no persuading them to please wait. There is no pacifying them, well, maybe you could just play with this toy instead. No, when they are hungry, they know what they want, and there is nothing taking their focus off being fed. In fact, they do what? They cry, don't they? They cry out because they are so desperate to be fed. And babies long for milk that will sustain their bodily growth. Well, we understand that about babies, but what is this pure spiritual milk that Peter is talking about? Well, this spiritual milk is the Word of God. And just like we saw in verse 23 last week that the Word of God was the imperishable and forever seed through which we have been born again, it is also that which we are continually fed and nourished by. The very word that brought us into life is the same word that sustains us and matures us and grows us. And as believers of Jesus Christ, who are new creations, who have been born again, we should long for it. We should crave for it. We should strongly desire it. Further, this is a command. This is an imperative command that Peter is making here. It is imperative that children of God long for his word. However, we should take note of what Peter did not command here. He did not command believers to read the word, to study the word, to meditate the word, to teach the word, to preach the word, to search the word, or to memorize the word. All of those things are essential. And other passages do command believers to perform those things. But notice, Peter here is more focused on the foundational element believers need before they do any of these other things. A deep, continuous love for the Word of God. And as Christians, we should have a deep, deep love and desire for the Word of God. Further, take note on the quality of this milk that children of God desire. Peter doesn't just say that uh, the desire is spiritual milk, but it's what kind of milk? It's pure. This term refers to something that is uncontaminated. Think about the effects of contaminated milk. First, it stinks. There is nothing pleasurable about contaminated milk. It's one of the most awful stenches that you can smell in a kitchen. It is rotten smelling. Second, if it's contaminated enough, It's rotten looking. It gets all unpleasurable to look at. It is not pure, but it's contaminated, and it contains harmful bacterias and other germs. Third, what happens if you consume this contaminated milk? It makes you sick, and at a minimum, momentarily. However, it also can cause serious illnesses. It can put you in the hospital. Sometimes it can even kill you from consuming bad milk. That's crazy. That's a serious thing. However, what about pure milk? It helps you grow strong in your bones. It helps keep you fit. It helps your heart pump healthier, and it gives you strong teeth. That is some good stuff when it is pure. 
So Peter tells us that we need this nourishment. Why? Well, look at the end of this verse. It says that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, the purpose for us desiring the milk of God's word is now communicated to us. It's by the means of this word that we grow. Well, what are we growing into? Peter says we're growing up into salvation. But wait a second. I thought we were already saved. Well, if you have cried out to God for forgiveness, then absolutely you are. And in one sense, we are already saved because we're already born again. We're already justified. We're already made just in the Lord's eyes through the blood of Jesus. And we're saved out of our deadness into the newness of life. However, our salvation is a finished work, but it's also an ongoing work. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says, we are being saved through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we are growing toward our future salvation as we are becoming more like Christ until we are fully with Christ in heaven. So through these two verses, we can see that we are born, that we eat or drink, and therefore we grow up so we can arrive at salvation. And eating and drinking is not optional in the Christian life. It should be something that we crave for, something that we long for, and something that comes as natural for us as it does for an infant craving milk. Just like I discovered uh, the goodness of barbecue in Texas, I grew up in Mississippi spoiled by fried catfish. And I didn't realize how much of a luxury and a blessing that was until I left Mississippi. And now that I'm in the desert, I can't find anything to satisfy that craving. I've heard similar things from people that have grown up in Odessa and the Permian Basin and have moved away and long for roses and Taco Villa and Bush's chicken. They long for that thing that they desire. Christians, we should long for God's word. We should long for pure milk. I'm just going to be honest right now. There is a lot of contaminated milk coming from pulpits these days. What contaminates a product? When something from the outside gets mixed in. And there's a lot of preaching these days that says, well, I'm going to take God's word and I'm going to mix in my opinion with it. Or I'm going to take God's word and I'm going to mix in my politics with it. Or I'm going to take what God says and I'm going to mix in cultural expectations with it. Well, what's the outcome? It ends up getting people sick, and it stunts their growth. No, Christians, we need the pure milk of God's Word so that we can grow strong, so that we can stay fit, and so that we can have a healthy heart. And after we crave the milk of God's Word, then the goal is that we get to the meat of God's Word. But we've got to desire the milk first so we can grow healthy teeth to tear into the meat of His Word. You don't give a baby meat, but the goal is to get them to some good Texas brisket, right? (laughs) Christian, the command here is that you crave the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. Peter after explaining that we should put away our old habits, our love killers, and then explaining that we should crave God's word so that we can grow toward final salvation, Peter then often offers this condition in verse 3. Now look at that now. He says this in verse 3. If 
Indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. We can understand the word if here, not as a way to put doubts in our minds, like if we are saved, but in the form of now or since you have been born again. Since you have been born again, desire God's word. It's because you have tasted this pure spiritual milk of God. See, the taste of this milk is tasting the goodness of God. These words hint back to Psalm 34 that we read at the beginning of our service today, where David is writing to say, when the righteous are afflicted and suffering, they can be confident that God will deliver them from all of their troubles. And Peter's readers who were suffering from persecution could take great encouragement in this psalm to hope in God in the midst of all of their troubles. So why did Peter quote this psalm right here? What was he trying to say? Peter's main point and the idea of this verse is that believers should long for the Lord. They should long for God's word if indeed they have tasted and experienced his goodness. This longing and this craving for God's word does not come from duty or responsibility or checking off boxes on a list or something that we do because we should do it. It's not a call to moralism, but we are desperate for God because we have tasted of the pure spiritual milk and we have tasted and seen that God alone is good. When the goodness of God, when we taste the goodness of God, and when we have experienced the undeserved kindness from the Lord, then we crave Him more. We know that Jesus is better. Further, we know that only He will satisfy. Well, Natalie and I had our when Natalie and I had our first baby, uh, and she was born. I was in uh, graduate school full time, and I worked part time at a church, and. Uh, we were about 30 minutes south of where we lived. That was 30 minutes south of where we lived in Fort Worth. Natalie worked a full-time job on campus at the school that I attended that paid for my tuition. And so she remained at her job for six months after we had McKenzie. So I was full-time daddy, full-time student, and part-time music minister at a church. And I was very busy. Uh, During those six months, I took care of McKenzie all of the time. And McKenzie went with me everywhere, including the church office when I had to go in the church office. Oftentimes in that 30-minute drive, it was through thick DFW traffic. And it was often in those times that Mackenzie, who had been sleeping peacefully up to that moment, woke up halfway there only to discover that she was starving. She was hungry. And due to the nature of the drive, once I started on it, I was in traffic most of the way, and there was nothing I could do to pacify her until I arrived at the church and to feed a very starving baby with the milk that she longed for. And when we arrived at our destination, I was about as eager to give her that milk as she desired to receive it. But I'll never forget this beautiful sight, uh, this infant that had just screamed her tiny lungs out to let me know that she was hungry, now received this milk that she desired so greatly. And as soon as it hit her lips, it was like instant relief, instant calm. Instant satisfaction. Sometimes she would even smile a little bit when she received it. She was tasting the goodness that she had been desiring. She was tasting and receiving the goodness of the longing of her heart. Maybe you've seen this face on a newborn baby who receives the milk they're longing for. And there's just a peace and oftentimes a smile that comes over their face. Believer, 
This is how we should receive the word of God. With an instant calmness and an instant satisfaction and an instant relief because we have tasted and seen that God alone is good. We have seen what the world has to offer. We have seen that the world does not satisfy, but we have seen that Jesus is enough. So we have confidence in him and we are relieved by his word. Our father's here and when our father's on the scene, what do we have to fear? What do we have to be concerned about? What do we have to be anxious about? God's got this and we've set our hope and we've set our fear on him. We're striving for his holiness. We're loving others and we're growing in him. We're satisfied in him alone. Believers, we are commanded to crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word because we have tasted and seen the goodness of God. So we crave him. We crave it, and then we grow up into salvation. This is an incredibly practical text. Uh, Peter tells us clearly what it is that we are commanded to do and why we are commanded to do it. But I wonder today... You know, what observations in just a few minutes we've got left that we can take from our text to practically apply to our lives? Well, application one is we put away love killers. And Peter in this passage tells us to kill love killers, to put away those things that cause us to not love one another earnestly. To put away those things that cause us to not be holy as God is holy. To put away those things that cause us to not set our minds on our living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Peter here doesn't tell us to be passive about our sin. That we say, oh well, I'm just a sinner and I'm just going to keep on sinning because Jesus is going to forgive me anyhow. No. The evidence of our love for other believers in our pursuit of being holy as God is holy is that we hate our sin that we're not passive with putting it to death. But how do we put to death our sin? How can we do this? Well, first, we can't walk alone in our battle against sin. And this goes against the culture of many cultural Christians because somehow we have this attitude of, well, because I follow Christ and Christ had it all together and because Christ is perfect, I need to have it all together and to be perfect. But hear me, brothers and sisters in Christ, and rest in this. We are not called to be pretenders of perfection. But we are called to be soldiers who are hunting down and destroying the sin in our lives and helping our brothers and sisters in Christ kill their sin as well. We cannot do this alone. That's why we have the church to help one another fight our sin together Not to exclaim that we are walking in perfection, but to say that we're not. We must do it together. We must walk together to help each other fight our sin together. And sometimes when we're walking alone, we're not aware of the trouble up ahead of us. Or we're not aware of the trouble behind us or the trouble that is within us. But in order to put away love killers, to kill our sin, we cannot walk alone and we must do it together. Well, how will we know if we're doing some of these sins, these love killers, if no one loves us enough to tell us that we are walking in our blind spots? But we need others to help us see what we can't see in our own lives. Well, how can we do this? 
Well, first, we need to love God and each other enough to be honest with our brothers and sisters who are walking in sin. And this in return as the brother and sister who might be walking in the sin of slandering, envy, hypocrisy, deceit, or really any sin, we need to love God and hate our sin enough to hear our brothers and sisters in Christ who have spoken the truth in love to us. We need to be truth speakers in love. We need to be iron that sharpens iron. What good is a dull blade that refuses to be sharpened? We need to be sharpened for Christ so we can love God more and we can fight our sin better. You may say, well, I'm not comfortable with this. What is the alternative of not telling others the truth about their sin? Well, they continue on in their sin, blinded by their disobedience to God, and you, in effect, are allowing them to wander in the middle of Faldry Road and rush hour traffic with a blindfold on. That is not loving Further, what's the alternative to you not listening to the truth about your sin when others speak it in love to you? You're walking around in a vacuum, in a bubble, unaware that you're walking in sin. And you're walking along Faldry at 5 o'clock with a blindfold on. And you're possibly about to get hit head on. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's love God and each other enough to put to death the love killers in our life and to fight our sin together. But where do we do this? If you're just sitting in this room, and this is the only time that you see these people in this room, then you probably don't know them well enough to help them fight their sin and love Jesus more. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have D groups. That's why we get lunch with one another. That's why we fellowship together. That's why we pray together like we will tonight at 6 p.m. so that we can sharpen one another through helping each other fight our sin together. To help each other fight our sin together, we must know one another. Let's get to know one another because we can't do it alone. Brothers and sisters, we're not called to be pretenders of perfection, but we are called to put away love killers. And to do this, we don't walk alone. We walk together. Application number two, we crave God's word. Our second application today is the command that Peter gives us that we are to crave God's word. And this sounds great, and we should all agree that this is good, but what about when I don't desire God's Word? Well, the first question that we need to ask is, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you experienced God's salvation? Has the gospel overwhelmed you, and have you been called to salvation? If not, you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to know that there's a God who loves you and he created you and he's holy and he's set apart and there's nothing or no one like him. He's never done anything wrong or nor can he do anything wrong. Yet every human has sinned. You have and I have. We've all done something wrong against God's law. And this creates a problem because God is holy and man is sinful and God can't be associated with sinfulness. And so therefore we are separated forever from the God who loves us and who created us. And this is bad news. But God loves you. You need to know that. God loves you so much that he made a way that you can be reunited with him forever in a real place called heaven. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby who was fully God and fully man. And I don't fully understand it, but I fully believe it. And he lived a perfect, sinless life here on earth. And yet he, and he, but yet he went to a cross and he died for your sins. Three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. 
so that you can be forgiven and saved from your eternal separation from a God in a place called hell. If you repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and follow him the rest of your days, then you will be forgiven and saved. So my first question is, what about when I don't desire God's word? My question back to you is, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? If not, receive his salvation today. If so, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and if you're still struggling with desiring to be in God's word, what do you do? John Piper said about this problem and about this verse, he said this. He said, remember, this is not optional. The statement to long or to crave here was not an option. It was an imperative command. The command is that you crave God's word. I didn't say it. That's what the Bible says. And if God commands us to do something, won't he supply the ability? Absolutely. But what can we do to be obedient to crave God's word? First, we remember God's grace. When we don't desire God's word, we can remember the depth of our sin. And we can remember the depth of our Savior's love to die for sinners such as us. The gospel I just shared. What a love. Go back to remembering the goodness of God. And I'm just going to say it. If you ever get to a point of where you're over the gospel... You might want to check and see if you've ever had the gospel. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about checking a list off of moralism. I'm talking about a relationship with the God of the universe who loves you unconditionally and eternally with an overwhelming love. But God, even when we were dead, even when we were sinners, even when we were walking in our disobedience, even when we were destined for hell, being rich in love and mercy, he loves us. What a love. Remember God's grace today. The second way is we can remember our forgetfulness. I'm sure many of you are like me. I can't remember anything. I love the reminders app on my phone because I can't remember anything. And knowing that, we all are so prone to forget the goodness of God, to forget his grace, to forget the identity that he gives us to forget the confidence that we have in him as God who knows the beginning, the middle, and the end of all things. And we quickly can forget that God wins in the end. We are fearful. We can also forget that God's word is the means by which he speaks to us. When you don't desire God's word, remember God's goodness and remember your forgetfulness. And third, pray for a desire. We also can pray for a fresh desire of God's word that he would give us a craving to be with him, to meet him. And we push through and we read God's word anyhow, praying that God would grow his desire in our hearts for his word. What about when you don't desire God's word? One, remember God's grace. Two, remember your forgetfulness. And three, pray for a desire. And be obedient to the command to crave God's word. Application number three, and we'll be done. We grow in love. Today, we need to know the goal of salvation is love. We saw that last week. When we grow in salvation, we are growing in love. We're growing in love for God, and we're growing in love for one another. And the key word here is that we are growing, right? It's not a destination that we're all at, but we're 
closer than we were yesterday. So the more that we as newborn creations are growing up by God's word, by the milk of his word that is strengthening us in our love, then we grow in our love. Last week, we went over some practical ways that we can love one another well, and I won't reference those. If you want to review those, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. But I just want to reiterate that the goal of our growing up is to grow in love, loving God well and loving others well. Church, if you want to look different than the world around you, if you want to be a stranger in a land that is not your home, just love people well. Don't run past the hurting but instead walk with them. We're not called to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And as we digest God's word within us, it is evidence through our growth on the outside and how we love others well. And let's walk slowly with the hurting, not in such a hurry to get to our destination that we forget about those that God has placed in our path and on our journey. The evidence of our holiness is our becoming more like Jesus. Our being set apart is our love for one another. So Christians, my charge for you today is this, out of God's word is this. Christian, be holy as God is holy. Christian, put to death the sin in your lives. It's a love killer. Hate your sin and put it to death. Christian, crave God's word so that you can grow up in love. Our big idea for today is this. Holiness kills our sin and causes us to crave spiritual growth. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Believer in this room today, we've just looked at God's word. Let me ask you some questions. How are you doing with putting to death your sin? If you follow Christ, do you hate your sin? Or are you walking passively in it? Christian, decide today to put your sin to death and don't do it alone. Maybe you need to find a brother or sister in Christ you need to confess your sin to so that you can help one another fight it. But don't try to do it alone. Come to this altar. Beg God to cause your heart to hate your sin if you're walking passively in it. Christian, how are you doing in craving God's word? Maybe today you need to come to this altar and you need to beg God to stir your heart, to crave the pure spiritual milk of his word. Christian, how are you doing in growing in your love, growing in your salvation? Maybe today you need to come to this altar and beg God to break your heart for what breaks his, to cause you to love him and to love others more. Let's not be okay with being pretenders of perfection. Let's earnestly seek to love God and love others today. This altar is here so that we can use it. Christian, let's come and let's cry out to the Lord today. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I feel the weight of my sinfulness. I feel the need to repent I know that I'm a sinner, but I've never cried out and asked God for repentance, or I'm unsure if I've cried out and asked God for repentance. I want you to hear this truth today. Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we did nothing to earn Christ dying for us. In fact, we were still sinners when he died for us. We see Romans 6, 23, and it tells us the wages of sin is death. 
So the cost of this sin is death, separation from God, but then the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, how do we receive that? Well, we see in Romans 10, 9, it tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, you can have the same confident assurance in a forever salvation that I've been sharing about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, repent of your sins and follow him. Today, when we sing and I go down front, you can come down and I can help you cry out to God for the first time. God, I believe. God, forgive me. God, I will follow you. And you can have the same confidence of salvation in Jesus that we, many of us in this room have today. You can't be good enough to earn your salvation, but won't you let Jesus be good enough to offer you salvation today? Will you come? Believers, the altar is open. Let's do business with the Lord today. Church, I love you. Let's pray. 